Alright, hello everyone and welcome to Analytical Fanboys, the podcast where boys get analytical. I think that's our mantra, isn't Let's it? Let's get analytical, analytical. Exactly. Yes, perfect. I am your host, uh, Simeon Scott, and I am joined as always by the rather ambitious Chris Gaston. Okay, you usually ask how I'm feeling. Oh, I was I was going to, but I, I was going to wait for you to say stuff, and I was being polite. How are you feeling? You well, doing good? F- I'm feeling a lot less fucking respected right now. Jeez, Well, maybe you, you should be more ambitious, Mr. Ambitious. I gave you that adjective for a reason. This is your company. You should be fucking calling the shots here or something. We're going to start a feud right now. We're, we're less than a minute into the episode, but let's go. How about, fuck you. All right, that's good, too. (laughs) Uh, It has been some time, my man. It has. (laughs) We did did the MMWP live Royal Rumble cast, and... uh, With a royal, with a full pay-per-view that didn't have anything boring on it. I know, right? How the fuck does that happen? Um, and then you went to a thing, so we couldn't record last week, or, um, and then we, we didn't, we didn't get an episode out, and, uh, no, no, we're back, we're back here, we're back to good old square one, um, as they say, when you're talking about the first installment in a franchise. I'm I'm really working to get us to the fact that our topic for this week is Casino Royale, both the original novel by Ian Fleming and the uh, Daniel Craig um, movie adaptation, which was sort of a reboot of the James Bond franchise, but also the other ones happened because James Bond has about as solid of a continuity as wrestling in general. Hey, WWE wrestling. Yes. Let's be specific there. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah. Um. Basically, I just kind of went like, like I I read the uh, first James Bond novel and I really liked it, so I put it on the list, and I I figured it'd be an interesting thing to talk about. But then we did the Time Traveler's Wife episode, and we found out that books are a bad idea for this podcast. So we're doing an episode both on the book and the movie. Uh, Chris, this this was your first time experiencing the book. What did you think? Can you remember any of it this time? Yes. Hooray! The best, the be- <laughs> the best way I can explain it is this is a really, really good first pass at a screenplay. Really? The amount of detail that he gave is typical of a book. But, 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 this is fundamentally, it, it evolved over time, but this is fundamentally a thriller kind of thing, and the bogging down of minutiae of detail of his knuckles were hairy and all the, that kind of information 
Yeah, that stuff can make it seem a little dull at times. I think I think Fleming got a little too caught up in the fact that, like, he said that when he wrote that book, he was setting out to def- to write the definitive spy novel, and James Bond wasn't going to be a series. It was just like he was going to write this one book and be done, because he was a spy in the war um, in World War II, so he wanted to write a book that's sort of like a realistic representation of what being a spy is like, but through the lens of what was then the modern world. Um, but ultimately, a lot of that kind of detail can be easily passed with a camera. You you can just show a person, and you get the you get the feeling. Mm-hmm. Um, which takes. Because I listen to it on audiobooks, so it takes a five-hour book and turns oh, it into. Which reading a... did you listen to? I don't know. I just found it on goddamn YouTube. <laughs> 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 it was a British man reading it, so. Hey, accuracy. Yeah, but it's, it takes a five uh, five-hour fucking um, book, and it turns it into a 90 minute film and it picks up the pacing because there's a lot of, lot of the story that just kind of goes like, all right, you're setting things up that takes like two seconds to set up to get mm-hmm. to a bigger thing, get to the thing. The thing about Casino Royale, the book is a lot of the story of it comes from either exposition or character drama between Bond and, uh, oh, I forgot her name, but the Bond girl. The, and, the, 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 it starts with a V. Yeah. Um, I know she's played by Ava Green in the movie, right? Mm-hmm. There's not many. I'm paying attention to that. Bond. Vesper, that's her name. Vespa. Um, it was Vespa in the book. Okay. I remember um, because I was thinking, oh yeah, mopeds. A, a lot of a lot of the story of the book is really a character drama between those two and just them falling in love on this mission and then James being betrayed by her. In the movie, that's kind of like a tertiary thing, and the story is more so the mission and also the mission only takes up so much time, so they're able to add in a lot of movie original action sequences, and I feel like the movie's strongest points are those original action sequences, like the opening where he's just car parkouring through a construction site, the uh, the bit at the um, airport is really cool. Um, a lot of that stuff just makes the movie for me. Not so much the story from the book. Yeah. The story in the book is very much it, it is very interesting as a historical piece, as an understanding of uh, fiction at the time. It's like, oh, okay, so this is kind of how they they, they, they they kind of looked at thriller material at the time. Mm-hmm. Like, it's also an interesting look at just people at that time, because I think it's a really interesting hard critique of both relationships and how men and women sort of conduct themselves or conducted themselves in that day and age because 
that's the thing this book kind of hammers home for you is James Bond is not a hero. He's a cold, hard, misogynistic monster. Yeah, like the last and line in the book woman, is literally the bitch is dead. Yeah. And in the movies, James Bond is always people he's always played as yeah, he's those things, but those things make him cool. He's a cool guy. You want to be James Bond. He's 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 this badass. He gets all these chicks. He's got all the best one-liners and that sort of attitude towards Bond, I feel really drags the movie down because Craig is playing the cold hard Bond from the from the book, but the script and the directing keeps trying to push him into being a cool badass. Um and, there, and like I said there's scenes where that works, like all the he's great in all the action scenes. And there's a few really cool scenes between him and M, but on the whole, the movie really lacks in in making you get the message of the book. You know what I think? Another thing of it is, is the movie's much more action. It, it, there is action. There's acting. Mm-hmm. There's all that kind of stuff. Yeah. The book feels like a very detached report of the events. I can see that, yeah. And and I think again it does come from Fleming's own background as a spy. He's he's not so used to fiction. He's probably used to just reporting what he saw and what could be important for his superiors to know. Yeah, but it, 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 it's it, there's a lot of elements of like d- describing the game. There's no air or atmosphere on there's some like uh my palms are sweating this kind of thing but it's very ancillary to the whole detail of it it's very much i looked over he looked he's looking like this i'm pale as a sheet all these different kinds of very very simple things where a much more modern sense would be uh the smoke-filled room the smell of uh evaporated alcohol on the ground building a picture of senses and everything it's it's very much the biggest uh, big thing I picked up, and it may just be partially the narrator for this audiobook, was this. This is a very very stoic British story. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to flap this James Bond, and he's just like he loses, and he's just like it feels like he just goes like, oh well, fuck that up, okay. Yeah. It, it... It's it's incredibly interesting to to sort of study how different Bond is in this early stage compared to how he becomes later. Because that's that's a thing I really picked up on on this read through of the book. Because I'm also right now reading through all the original Sherlock Holmes stories by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle for the first time. And something I never realized, nobody's ever told me this, Sherlock Holmes is just a nice guy who's pretty smart in the original stories. Like, he's not an, he's not an ultra-analytical asshole. That comes way later. I think, I think that was invented by either Moffat or somebody like a few adaptations before him. Um, um, I'd, because, it was, because I think it's partially... We just got so used to the asshole genius 
mm. that it just kind of molded into him. Because um, some of the early adaptations of uh, Sherlock Holmes uh, stay pretty consistent. Even the uh, even a lot of the uh, period piece versions, like like hell, even the Great Mouse Detective, which is a Sherlock Holmes style story, he's a nice dude. Yeah, he's kind he's kind of an eccentric dick. It, uh, dumbass but he's he's a nice dude and that's a thing i noticed for all the stories was um sherlock like, gets a little more reserved as it goes on but he never gets to like pure cold calculating analytical genius whereas james bond is the exact opposite he starts out as a fucking machine and the book tries tries to show you him becoming a little more human and then at the end it goes Nah, she's evil. She betrayed him because that's what happens when you're a spy. And he just got all of his preconceived notions about the world reaffirmed. And now he's just going to go back to being a cold calculating machine. And I don't, th- I don't think she was evil, evil. I think there was a part of it. It was like, no, she genuinely did. It was like, no, at the end of this, I'd rather do this. And I'd rather, I'd rather die than go back to my job. Mm hmm. Um, and there's also, like, I haven't read, I've read the novel that comes right after this one, I forget which one it is, but I haven't read all the James Bond books, so I don't know if it was like a gradual thing over time, because I know there was a point where the movies were starting to get popular, and the books were still going, so there was some overlap there. But I, I really wonder where the whole James Bond is a cool, suave, badass thing came in. And and sort of who's, responsi- who's responsible for that being the public perception of James Bond is. Because reading this book, it seems like James Bond should be either one of the most hated characters in fiction or one of the most universally disliked but respected characters in fiction. Yeah, I I think a lot of it just comes to how do you portray a certain level of confidence that in the book, James Bond has a level of confidence because we can hear his thoughts. We can see like we can see into his mind and goes like he says, like, I know how to do this. I know when to do this. All right. And because it's in the book, we see it all the process and logic. It feels very robotic. It feels very logical. It's because thing. Thing A happens, so I now need to do thing B, thing C, and thing D. All right, now those objects are done. Let's continue. And because we're in that mindset, it's like, okay, logic. But how do you portray that sense of confidence in knowing what to do in a movie and acting? You make them suave. You make them very confident exterior-wise. Mm-hmm. I think that may just be part of it. Yeah. <laughs> it's just it's and I don't want to I don't want to stick on this whole point this point for the whole podcast but it's something that really caught my attention because in today's sort of pseudo political we're reassessing the way we view media culture um James Bond is often looked at as like one of the first examples of toxic masculinity and that being a problem with his character and that comes from people who only know him from the movies. And I read this, and, and I kind of fell into that line of thinking at one point. But having read this book, I'm like, 
Oh, no, that's the point of the character. Oh, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And and I looked into it even more, and I forget when it was, but there's... Ian Fleming has actually been quoted um, saying something along the lines of, no, my guy's not a hero. Yeah, no, he's a guy with a job, and he's going to do that job, but... Mm-hmm. Like, I remember seeing a thing comparing, like, one of the other Sean Connery, one of the Sean Connery Bond films to the novel it was based off of. And like in the novel, it goes to weird, weird places like, oh, James Bond was fucking put into surgery to make him look like a Japanese fisherman. And he's now in a Japanese fish village. And it's like, what? Yeah. Like. Like, but yeah, the whole toxic asshole masculinity thing, it's very much a part of the character and it's acknowledged. Like, even when the section of the book, when he's trying to be, no, I want to have a normal life with this woman because I am interested in her and I want to have, like, normal, he still falls back on the, maybe I should just slap her and knock her out of it. And it's like, yeah. He's still looking at her as as a piece of me, as as a thing of amusement, rather than an actual partner and a peer, even though that's how he got won over into wanting this life, was she came in and he thought, and he thought like, oh god, a woman, this is just gonna muck everything up. Uh, like, I think that's a literal line in the book somewhere. And then through stuff like her just talking about being nervous... Um, asking, borrowing clothing from friends for the mission because she's just a secretary. She she's not like a fully trained agent. She she's not equipped with the stuff she'd need for this mission. Um, he kind he kind of falls for her in that sort of um, wanting to take care of a dough way, but that eventually comes back to bite him in the ass when. Basically, all of, like I said, all of his preconceived notions about relationships get reconfirmed, where he just asks her about, like, in the book, it's or in the movie, it's much more dramatic, but in the book, he just asks her about one little thing that seems off to him, and she just won't talk about it. And that stalls out their relationship for, like, a week. And then eventually, they have makeup sex, and they're okay for a couple days, and then it comes up again. And it keeps going like that for like a couple months until eventually he's like, you've got to tell me what the hell's going on. I can't keep doing this. And she just kills herself and leaves a suicide note explaining that she was a double agent. Yeah, because there was a dude following them. Mm-hmm. Um, well, there was a dude following them. And I also think she, um, the thing that she she was freaked out about that. And then the thing that tipped Bond off the most was, like, she got some kind of message left for her at a hotel that was related to the people she works for. I forget what exactly it was. It's been about a week since I reread the book for this. Um, but in the movie, I think it's literally just, um, we need a third act. So they're, they're in Venice about to... Um, about to go off and get married. He's just sent in his resignation to M. 
And then he wakes up one morning and she's like, I have to go to the bank and do a thing. Okay. He gets up. She's left her computer on for some reason and sees something that tips her, him off to the fact that she's, she's going to do a bad thing. And so he tails her and sees her dealing with the enemy, and he's like, what the fuck? And then they spot him, and then there's a big action scene, and then she ends up dying by drowning, getting trapped in a building that's collapsing into the ocean and drowning in front of him. It's really overly dramatic. Yeah, in the book, it's very, it's a little bit more... No, she wanted to go on this with him, but... She was with the evil spies that wouldn't let her go, or at least she thought she was, and she got either was right or was extremely, extremely paranoid, and either way, it's a tragic ending. Mm-hmm. And I actually like the book's ending more because, A, like I said, it's it, it helps, it properly reconfirms Bond's preconceived notions, B, it it works as again playing into the thing Fleming is doing with them of critiquing modern relationships and see it doesn't have the stupid thing from the end of the movie where it ends with Bond shooting the people she was working for as a way of getting revenge and then he and then he says his his famous line and then the movie's over we got we got Daniel Craig to be Bond origin over now the movies are back be happy yeah, the book is very much clear. You're meant to feel sad, feel sad. Mm-hmm. Like even even the moments of the book that could that could be uh, exciting action are downplayed to a more a simmer, mm-hmm. like the car chase. Yeah, like the car chase. I barely remembered from the book it's it's really cool in the movie but in in the in the book it's just kind of like this footnote that leads into a bigger part of the plot and i feel like you can say that for a lot of things that are translated into the movie and that's why i'm saying it's like it's a very nice it's a very good first draft at a screenplay because it's a lot of like set dressing details is a lot of like little things like that that an action director can go like all right cool let's add some more things here add some more things here let's work with a stunt coordinator which is something which is how some scripts are written hmm. yeah that makes sense um and i mean just to get back to the movie for a minute cuz cuz i have been dunking on it a fair bit um I do as much as like I've I've kind of trashed um, Daniel Craig as James Bond in this movie. Daniel Craig is a really good James Bond when he's given a good script, and there's parts of the script that really work for him in in the movie. Like I said, he's great all the action scenes. He has some great character interaction. Like the scene where he first meets Vesper, it's pretty much line for line from the book, but it's great in the movie. It works just as well there. Um, uh, and, uh, Skyfall, which is, to my knowledge, a completely original story, that's great in him. I think that's his best, his best outing as Bond. 
this movie is just a bit wobbly because, well, it's his first time and they're largely translating a book to screen that never got translated. Yeah, um, and I think it definitely has some Batman Begins syndrome. Yeah, because I, I think that was part of the mission statement with this movie of, well, Bond movies got outmoded because the Bourne movies happened. So let's make Bond more like Bourne so people will think it's cool again. Yeah. And some of that works, and some of it feels incredibly dated now. Oh, yeah. A lot of movies of the time did because they were chasing a trend. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I like I like Bond um, in the movie. Uh, Ava Green as Vespa is really good. I think it's her best role. Um, I've not seen her in a ton of stuff, but you know, she's one of those actresses who has just gotten around since she she got her big break, which I think was this movie. Um, but this is her best role, in my opinion. Um, I really like the guy who plays Lashif. He feels properly scarily cold and calculating like he does in the book. Like, um, again, I don't know who whose reading you listen to, Chris, but in in the reading I listened to, the guy was voicing him like like Alan Rickman, like Professor Snape, and it came off as properly blood curdling. Hold on, let me send you the listening I the, the listening I listen to. <laughs> because that's how you that's how you that's how you moonicate. That's how you say words. That's how that's how you dictionary. Yeah. Can you dance if you want to? I don't I know. Can. Uh I am copying and the pasting, doing shit and fucking tasting. Gotta fill that fucking time, don't we? <laughs> gotta have audio here. It can't just be a dead zone or the because you never fucking truncate the silence in the podcast. I don't. You can't. You can do that. That's I know a thing I can. You can do. <laughs> That's a thing you can do. I just don't think it's an issue if it's not us watching a pay-per-view and and being quiet for large periods of time. Hold on. There it is. That's the one I listened to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, this is the same one. All right, cool. So yeah, 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 yeah. That's the one that's on Audible. I'm surprised they haven't had it taken down. Probably old. Hmm. It's probably very old, but yeah, it's it's uh it's a good cast. What the fuck? Ian Fleming wrote Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. You didn't know that? Nah, forgot. No. Yes. Yeah, that's another old book I've got to get to at some point. Chitty Chitty um, Bang Bang. But uh, where was I going? Oh yeah, another thing that I think is really cool is that even though Fleming wasn't planning for this to be a series he's already building a universe here with smersh as they're as they're pronounced i i thought that was a really cool thing because it could have very easily been like oh we find out that they're the ones who are pulling vesper strings and then the, the last chapter is james going and killing them all and that's what that scene in the movie was 
But no, it's just that they come in and clean shit up occasionally, and they leave Bond semi-threatening notes, and we never hear from them again. I don't know if they're in the other books, but I kind of like that they're just this mysterious thing that may or may not come after James Bond one day. Yeah. But, uh... That's a name that works so much better in print than when talking about it. Yeah. Schmirsch. Because all I can think about is, like, how people talk about their pets now, and, like, they smush their face and go, Schmirsch, Schmirsch, Schmirsch. (laughs) (laughs) Who's a good spy doggy, Schmirsch, Schmirsch, Schmirsch. Yeah, there's the problem with the book. Ian Fleming wasn't planning for internet dog culture. (laughs) Bond. Can I have cheeseburger? Blofeld, what are you doing in IHOP? Oh, man. How many more dumb memes can we do? Uh, James Bond, do you play Fortnite? (laughs) I feel like the Q from Skyfall would be really into Fortnite. Nah, nah, nah. He'd be into Battleborn, the failed game. (laughs) Uh, dunking yeah. on shit that doesn't matter. But yeah, this is a this is a pretty solid book and a pretty solid movie. But the perfect version of this story has yet to be made. I think it's in there. It's in there somewhere. I think it's partially because when adapting it, you go like, "Yeah, let's go with the exciting like fucking gambling scenes," mm-hmm. and there's a whole explanation on what the fuck Baccarat is. Mm-hmm. And then and everybody, I still don't and then, understand and, it. Yeah, and yet everybody in who's seen the movie and is like a, a a proper gambler has complained that the gambling in the in the Casino Royale movie isn't accurate. Yeah, but this, but a, but I've never heard them talk about the gambling in the book. I really want to know if like the gambling in the book is more accurate because it's so fucking detailed. It ought to be. Or it's so incredibly detailed that just makes it even more not. Yeah. But, like, it's a... It is... You can... Like, it's very much an action flick book of its time, which means it's not an action flick. Yeah. Oh, you know another thing I like about uh, the book? The way uh, it handles M. Oh, yeah. because M is treated as like this godlike you cannot touch him presence of like there's one person who talks to M and then that person talks to the rest of MI6 and nobody really knows who M is or what he looks like um and then there's a scene in the book where M comes and personally pays Vaughn a visit in in the uh, hospital, and it's treated with huge gravitas. Like, James Bond is this much of a badass and did this much of a good job that the boss came out of hiding to to personally commend him. I thought that was really cool. That's like uh, Nick Fury coming to say, doing good, Steve? Cool. Yeah. Um, also, just reading uh, about shit, uh, about why he's called James Bond. Why is that? Ian Fleming, that's the name, uh, founded on the name of a writer of an, uh, what's the goddamn fancy word for bird watching? 
Orphology, I want to say. Yeah, he saw it on an, uh, one of those kind of books and went like, <laughs> that is the most boring name ever. Perfect for a spy. <laughs> That's great. In fact, he had to explain that to James Bond's wife. Oh my god. Uh. All right. Well, do we have anything else to say on the uh these two things? Uh It's interesting in what it did for the future of fiction. Indeed. It's it's like a cool curiosity piece and if you don't know a whole lot about the history of James Bond like I do, I'm one of those people who I'm not a big James Bond fan, but I've seen like a scattershot of James Bond films. I've seen one of each actor except for the guy who only played him once. I haven't gotten to that movie yet. I need to though. Um uh but but I've seen like one or two of each actor that have played him. I've seen all the Craig films. Um you only need to have seen two of the Craig films, but I have seen them all. Um but if if you're one of those people, you're more of a casual Bond person, the book is worth checking out just to get a, more of an idea of the history of a, the character. But it's not like, I'd say, go out of your way to check it out. Similarly with the movie. It's not going to change your life. Yeah. There. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Fucked Up Root Facts with Chris. Okay. Oh, well, that's a way of doing it. Okay. <laughs> Eggplants are actually fruits and not vegetables. In fact, botanically, they're berries. You know what? That actually makes sense with the way they look with the little tuft of green at the top there. Yep, yep. All right. Well, let's go ahead and figure out what we're going to be talking about next time, Chris. Do you want to take a wild fucking guess? Uh, something on the list. You would be right. Um, <laughs> but that something is going to be... Oh, okay. It's another one of my suggestions. I actually forgot I put this on the list, but we are going to be talking about an indie comic that came out last year. I believe it's either a four or a five issue mini, and I really dug it. Um, it is called Infidel, and um, it is a horror comic. It is somewhat graphic, and it deals with a lot of modern semi-hot, hot, hot uh, button issues. So, if you're not into those things, maybe don't watch, listen to this episode, or read this comic. But I feel like it's an excellent springboard to talk about those things, and I think it's very it does them in a very interesting way. And it's also just a damn good horror comic. So, well, the name like Fidel, I have a vague idea what it's going to be about. I, I will go ahead and say the main character is Muslim. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll be back next time to talk about that. But until then. Hey, why don't you go check out Chris's stuff? Chris, what stuff do you have for them to check out? You can find me on the YouTubes at Boingo Writer. I do video editorials and bullshit like that. I, um, flickety flocking on Twitter at Boingo underscore writer. I, 
am on uh, this place, I guess. <laughs> you, need to, you need to get real, more of that social media outreach going, bro. I, I mean, I use Instagram, but only when I'm doing shit. Mm. <laughs> like, uh, if you want my Instagram, my fucking Instagram, and see all the photos I took. Hell, you can look at the photos I took at an NXT Hell show. Hey. That's a thing you can do. I am at Boingo underscore writer. Alright. Um, and you can find my Discord server in the Descript. Very clean. Well, I am Simeon Scott, that Simeon Scott specifically. I have a website, uh, well, I have a link for a website. It's called thatsimeonscott.com. takes you to a playlist where you can see every YouTube video I have ever made because I am a uh, YouTube video creator. Uh, that is my primary career. Um, I do all kinds of content. I do dumb fan edit shit. I do... Um, a multi-channel storyline analysis meet YouTube personality thing. There's a guy called the Vacuuminator. He's kind of your gen your general YouTube geek personality. There's a guy called Ranger T. He's a really big fan of Tommy Oliver from the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. There may be some more characters coming in eventually. Um, I have a channel where I just eat weird, random, special, limited edition food items that have been put out and wish for my life to end. I have a fan edit channel, um, and I'm currently uploading a bunch of really old, cringy bullshit from when I was literally just getting started on YouTube uh, that I found on a hard drive, and I was like, it's going to take three months. But all of this has to go back up because it's hilarious to see how far I've come, even though I'm still not an incredibly good YouTuber yet. Um, but uh, yeah, you can check all of that out by viewing the playlist at thatsimeonscott.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at thatsimeonscott, where I talk about stuff occasionally and plug all my shit. Um, you can follow me on Instagram as well. It is also at that Simeon Scott, but I believe there's underscores with that one. And, uh, yeah, do that shit. But the other shit you should do is you should go ahead and subscribe to this channel so you can get every episode of Analytical Fanboys as it comes out. You can follow Modular Media on Twitter for updates on the show. You can subscribe to our subreddit. Uh, you can click the link down in the video description to get MP3s of the show as it comes out. And, uh, yeah, that's pretty much it. But um, I guess we'll see you next time when we will be talking about Infidel. Until then, I'm Simeon. I am me. And we will... We'll, we're we're going to... We're... We're going to end this podcast because you can't say it. I was trying to think of a clever James Bond thing, but I, 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 I didn't want to say the name Spamboys, Analytical Fanboys. And I, media. I Modular media. Yes, that. Okay, it's over. Goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>